0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited today to introduce you to Elena Robinson. She is a parenting coach. I'm going to have her tell you all about what she does. And I want to talk about her experience becoming an entrepreneur, growing her business to six figures, and then what happened after. And I can't wait to dig into that. But first, let's just back up and let you tell everyone a little bit about you and your business.
1: Yeah, so as you said, I'm a parenting coach. I'm an early childhood educator, and I help parents who are at the end of their rope with their child's behavior understand why their kids are misbehaving and how to fix it without yelling, shaming, or timeouts. So I'm all about empowering parents as the expert on their own child and implementing all of the new science that has come out about child development and how behavior develops and why children do what they do. And Take that out of the theory, sciencey stuff, and put it into real life in their everyday to solve the problems that are driving them off the wall. So that's what I do, and I do it through my um, membership program, Parentability.
0: So great! I know it's helped so many people. And the age group that you work with specifically, will you share that as as well? Two to six years old. Yeah, two to six years old. Such an important age, and. I mean, there's a lot that I could talk about there. If this podcast were all about parenting, we would really dive in because definitely I have some things I could share about my experience raising young kids. And anyway, if you want to hear more about that, you're going to have to go check out Alana. We'll tell you towards the end how you can connect with her and learn from her because it's definitely an important topic. One that needs to be a priority, even as you're growing your business, if you have children and choose the person to help you with it. But Today, what I want to dive into with you is your experience growing your business to six figures and beyond. And so first, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your journey, how you got your business started, and how you kind of got to the six-figure mark.
1: Yeah, I didn't start a business on purpose, which I think put me at a bit of a disadvantage because this wasn't an intentional thing. I started my business, I think a lot of people start their businesses out of necessity, but It wasn't a business venture for me. It was a freelancing stopgap when I started. I just had my oldest child. I was on maternity leave because I'm in Canada and we get that nice year-long maternity leave. And I was approached by the director of the agency that I had been working for before that and asked if I wanted to coach parents because some funding had been cut and they needed to redirect some of their funds, but some parents were really upset about that. They wanted that high-touch parent-coach relationship that they couldn't provide anymore, so they started referring people to me, and I was just doing it on the side while I was on my mat leave, and by time I finished my mat leave, and my son was a year and a half old, I had so many clients that I didn't need to go back to work, and my husband's in the military, and he was just about to get posted, so he was like, don't go back to work, (laughs) let's just keep doing this, and so we moved. I kept doing it remotely. It was working really, really well, but I was burning out because I had too many parents who needed help, and I could not take them all on. Like I just didn't have the time in my day to parent my son, be present with him, uh, do all the things that I needed to do, and also meaningfully interact with all of these clients and balance everything. And it was just getting too overwhelming. So. At that point, tried to turn it into a course, which didn't not work, but didn't work either. (laughs) Um, it It worked in the sense that parents were really good at learning the basic information in that format, but it very quickly became apparent that they really needed that coaching relationship as well. So at that point, we kind of hybrided it and we created a course that had a live support component to it. And that worked really well, except that it was like this one-off fee and these parents were needing months and months and often years of support and it wasn't financially feasible. So we, me, (laughs) me, all me, just me by myself, uh, (laughs) decided to turn it into a membership model um, to get the cost down for parents and to make sure that I had that recurring revenue coming in. And that worked amazingly. It's still a format that we're using. I'm using now. There is a we now. <laughs> I do have a team now. I yeah, can't, I
0: can't wait to talk about that. Not the royal we anymore.
1: <laughs> but so, yeah, that's the format that we're still using. And it worked really well. But it was just kind of like this. My husband calls it the comedy of errors because it was like, hey, we're going to try one thing. We're going to try another. There was a lot of throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping it stuck and piecing things together piecemeal. And it was just the first six years have been kind of like running on a treadmill. You're going full tilt, but you're not really getting anywhere.
0: Right. So I think it's so relatable though, because there are so many entrepreneurs who became entrepreneurs, not because of necessarily this like big drive to start a business at first, but because they were experts at what they did. And, it just lended itself towards that journey. So you started out like you were already an expert in this area. And then it turned into a business and your journey, like throwing things at the wall and trying things. That's so much of what's required in that first, you know, multiple years to get to six figures. And oftentimes it takes longer than people think to get to that first six figures.
1: Oh, entirely. Like I, I remember when we moved and My husband was like, okay, so if you're not gonna get a job here, and to be fair, there really aren't any jobs to have here, if you're not gonna get a job here, then you need to actually start making money like consistently. And being like, shit. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I can do that, I think. And thinking that like if I just put my nose to the grindstone and did it all properly, that you know, by the end of the year I'd be hitting six figures, no problem. And I didn't hit six figures for another five years. Didn't mean I wasn't making money. I was making decent money, but I didn't hit six figures for almost five years. And I mean, I had another baby in there, so that's little me down, obviously. Um, but yeah, it, it took a lot longer and it's taking a lot longer now that we're at six figures to get further down that six figure road than like we've kind of been stuck on that hump for a while.
0: Yeah. So let's first talk about those years leading up to Six Figures. What was your idea? What was the concept that you had of what Six Figures was going to be like before you got there, before you hit reality? What did you think it was going to be like?
1: I had no concept of the whole like more money, more problems thing. (laughs) (laughs) Like, well, Six Figures, like, and I remember, I don't remember who it was I was following, but I was following one of those semi-celebrity entrepreneurs and them being like, you know, I make... $200,000, $200,000, but I still only take home like $30,000 and being like, okay, y'all are mismanaging your money because <laughs> there's no, <laughs> there's no way. And to be fair at the time, like two that, bringing home $2,000 was a huge deal to me. So it like the idea that once you got to six figures, that your take home wouldn't necessarily be six figures was not, or closer to six figures was not, anywhere on my radar.
0: Yeah. What did you think it was going to be like? I figured I'd take home at least half of that. And that,
1: you know, once I was taking home at least half of that, that other half was going to be going towards people who were able to really run the business for me. And all I'd have to do is kind of show up and coach. And we're working towards that, but we're not there
0: yet not by law <laughs> and that's not typical to be there by the time you get to six figures and i asked the question i did because i think like at some point i remember very early in the time of us working together it may have even been on your initial form like you said like i got to six figures now what like that was kind of your question
1: it was a it was this like pie in the sky goal because i was you know a stay at home mom with two little baby boys. And I was like, "Wow, if I could just get to six figures, like the really successful people, you know, once you hit six figures that you've got something that converts and that is going to continue to convert and blah, blah, blah. I just had it in my head that by time I got to six figures, it was just a matter of like opening the faucet more and it would just keep getting stronger and stronger. And that's not necessarily the case.
0: (laughs) I remember very early in my business also having this concept of what six figures would be like and thinking that that was the end goal. And when I got there, everything was going to be great. And that's like the end game and it would be amazing. And I like, that's it. Like that's, I
1: remember my CPA handing me the sheet that said that I'd made a hundred thousand dollars. And I was like, yeah, for like five minutes. And then I was like, okay, cool. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I see it on the paper. I believe that that has happened, but I guess I'm working towards seven figures now, like and for some reason, the gap between zero to six feels so much smaller than the gap from six to seven, and well, it is more money <laughs> but like it's it feels so then you're like, what needs to change at this point like there's because like you get to that hundred thousand dollars and you're like okay, well, that's, this isn't sustainable. Like you hustle your way to a hundred thousand dollars, but you cannot keep doing that because you're going to burn out. And I did, I burned out hard. <laughs> Especially because I did it in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> so between hustling to get that to that hundred K mark, once I got close to it and managing all that went around with lockdown, And doing it with my kids still at home was like, I was like, I don't know, what the fuck do I do now?
0: And I think, again, like so many people burn out. So many people hustle their way to six figures. And there's a season, I think, of like, again, just throwing spaghetti at the wall, learning, trying, and that leads to hustle because it's not clear. You're trying all the things just to figure it out. But then you get to six figures and you're like, okay, this this isn't enough. Like the six-figure number isn't everything I thought it was going to be. It's not giving me the lifestyle I dreamt of when I started, which means I need to make more. But I can't make more the same way I made this money because I don't have any more time <laughs> to do that.
1: And I remember like I remember looking around at like my life and my business and being like okay, this is a business now. Like for some as I said, you're hustling your way to a hundred thousand. And once you get there, I was like, oh wait, (laughs) this isn't my freelance gig. This isn't my side gig. This is what I do. And I am not a business person. I'm a parenting coach. And that's, I think when like it
0: really hit me, like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. (laughs) Okay. So was it at that point that you reached out to me or around that time?
1: Yeah, it was around that time. I had talked to a few people who were beyond me and like getting closer to seven figures and who I had kind of in my loose circle and being like, what did you do when you got to? And I felt like an idiot because like, what kind of question is that? But <laughs> I, I did, I said to them, I'm like, what do, what do I do now? What? What had to change? To get you off of that, and they were like, "Well," and they gave, most of them gave me like this list as long as their arm, and I was like, <laughs> I completely froze because I didn't know how to do any of those things. And yeah, you have this perception that the hustle part or the figuring things out part is kind of over by the time you hit a hundred thousand dollars. And I was like, "You mean there's still shit to figure out?" <laughs> <laughs> and I have to figure it out. <laughs> shit. So um, yeah. So I. I, at that point, I started like looking at different people because I'd had mentors that, and I'm sure everybody who's an entrepreneur, especially an online entrepreneur right now, you have people you follow on Instagram and Facebook, and you're like, oh, I'd like to work with them one day. And I realized that everybody who was on my timeline was either behind me at this point, like I'd, I'd already outgrown them, or they didn't jive with me in any way, shape or form. So I was like, who the hell do I follow now? Like I need to come, I felt like I needed to tear down my Facebook feed and my Instagram feed and start over. And so they gave me some good people to follow. And you were one of those names. And that's, I started listening to your podcast, started following you on Instagram. And I was like, okay, I like this girl. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And I'm I'm so glad you reached out. I'm curious to like the, one of the first messages are the exchanges that we had in instagram dms at the time because that's where i think you initially reached out to me you said something about like i'm juggling all of these glass balls and something's going to drop so tell me what those glass balls represented and like what were the responsibilities
1: yeah i don't remember where i heard the analogy originally but there's this concept that like you have glass balls and you have plastic balls and you're juggling all of the balls and the ones that you let sometimes you have to let the plastic balls fall uh, and that's okay because they bounce up out of plastic. You cannot let the glass balls fall. And I had been juggling so many balls for so long that I couldn't differentiate between the glass and the plastic balls anymore. I didn't know what I could hand off to other people and what really needed to stay in my wheelhouse. And I didn't know where to find the people to hand the plastic balls to or some of the less fragile glass ones to. And so I, I did, I felt like I was constantly spinning plates and juggling balls and I just didn't know, I didn't know because I'm not a business
0: person. <laughs> I'm becoming one, but. That's right. Yeah. And so you joined scale to seven, you joined the mastermind and even like, as you're talking about like becoming this business owner, like we talked about becoming a CEO and really what that meant and what. what to think about. And so I'm curious now, like as you joined the mastermind and started to shift your focus, what are some of the things that you realized you needed to focus on to scale your business from six figures beyond that maybe you hadn't focused on before?
1: I was, I said, I was trying to do everything myself. And once you kind of pointed out what could be handed over to other people, because Right When you're hustling and you're a solopreneur and you're all by yourself, you get this impression that you're the only one who can do your business. And there's nobody who could step into any of these roles because that would mean that you have to entrust someone else with your vision. And when you haven't articulated your vision to anyone, you don't have any standing, standard operating procedures, you don't have any um, documentation whatsoever, like your business is completely in your brain it seems completely impossible to hand those things or anything over to anybody else. So you really helped me kind of flesh out like, what is an administrative task? Like what, what is something that I don't actually have to personally do? And what can I hand over to people who are going to do those things better than I can, especially because they're going to give their full attention. And I'm like, yeah, I got to get this done so I can handle all these other glass walls. So a lot of administrative, well, pretty much all my administrative tasks have been handed over to team members at this point. I've actually handed over some of my coaching to a co-coach at this point, um, which I did since finishing scale to seven because I was right around Christmas this year, I was burning out again. I was hitting a wall. And so I was finally bit the bullet <laughs> and brought on a co-coach to handle my clients a couple days a week so that I can like sit and stare at a wall and not have to constantly be thinking about the business. I've been able to hand off a lot of my marketing to a marketing professional whose job it is. And she gives me a much reduced task list compared to what I was doing before. And then I fill out her requests and hand it back to her. And she does the social media things. And so I've just taken a lot of anything other than like direct client interaction and improving my course and my program and my product off of my plate and actually treating it like a business and having that documentation in place. And we just had some staff turnover where my assistant left. And so I had another, I have two assistants where I did and one of them left and it was so seamless. Like before scale to seven, that would have sent me into a complete tailspin and I would have ended up doing that person's job again, just because I wouldn't have had the brain space or the like ability to hand it over back to my other assistant. But because everything was documented and like it was structured as a business and I didn't even have a project management system before you and I hooked up, like literally everything was just in my brain. And I wrote it on a physical to-do list every day, and then I messaged people if they had something to do. And that was how I was managing my very, very small team at that point. But now everything's documented, and it's in a project management system. So literally taking that assistant out of the equation, I was able to just take all of her tasks and assign them to a new person. And the instructions were there. I didn't have to spend a month training her. Um, my business is now structured like a business. (laughs) It's not structured as me being the puppet master and handing over dribs and drabs and bits and pieces to other people.
0: That's so good to hear. Not that, you know, not that someone left because that that's always tough. It happens. It's a part of business and it's very normal, but that even when those things happen, it can be smooth. And I've experienced that in my business. So glad to hear that you're experiencing that as well. And knowing that, you know, the systems and the process to hire and the project management system being in place and all of those things made that just smooth.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you saw the tailspin. I went into just hiring an assistant. (laughs) Like I didn't know how to do that effectively. And in 2019, actually like long before I hooked up with you, um, I had gone through what I call my year of VAs from hell, where I was just kept hiring people and hiring people and they'd ghost me and the work wouldn't happen. And so I ended up doing it and I'd hire somebody new and they wouldn't do the work. And I think I went through like six or seven VAs in a year, which seemed astronomical to me and still does because I didn't know what I was doing.
0: What do you think the difference is between the way that you hired before and the way that I taught you to go through the hiring process that made a difference?
1: I used to hire off of my gut, which turns out is wrong. (laughs) I I have a very good sense of people socially. And I think in my brain, I was like, oh, well, I'll have a good feeling about the people that I'm hiring based off of how we're interacting. And so I would hire people that I liked personally and that I got a good vibe off of personally and not necessarily off of their qualifications or their ability to do the job. I was hiring them off of the faith that because I liked them, they would rise to the occasion. That's not an effective way to hire people at
0: all. Right. I actually, you saying that, I remember the coaching call that you came to where you mentioned like you had someone, you had a few, you narrowed it down to a few people and there was one you were leaning towards and you said like you really liked her. And that's like, I remember like at that moment, even following the process, it still came down to having to let go of the idea that that was the primary thing. Now I'll tell everyone listening, that can still be a piece. That can be one factor to have that connection. But why don't you even share a little bit about the process of then what I had you do to narrow it down and compare them?
1: Yeah. Well, you basically told me to create a Rubric of the different things I needed in a team member. And one of those items on the rubric was how much I personally connected with them. And so, like in that instance, where I I think I had three that I had narrowed it down to, and there was one that I really connected with. And then the other two, I was like, "Mm, you seem like nice enough people, but I don't want to have a chat with you on a regular basis. And so, I was able to, in that instance, then take that one line item in the rubric and Give that girl a 10 in those areas and the others a five. But then when it came down to it, when I was looking at the totals across all of the different things that I needed, her personality did not outweigh the other deficits. And so I ended up going with a different team member. And what I've realized now, even though we never did click personally, we never did have that personal connection. And I still find, or I did before she left, um, found it very difficult to... (laughs) to have conversations with her she was confident like she was able to do the job and I found that that lack of friendship for lack of a better word made it easier to manage her because I didn't feel like I had to pussyfoot around her feelings I didn't feel like I was like having to be like hey I know we're, we're buds but you actually do need to submit these things on time um I was able to just be like, hey, where is this <laughs> and, and manage them and keep it all business and not insert my personal feelings into it. So I appreciated having your support with that because I would have if it had just been me, I would have hired the chick that I liked the best and she wouldn't have done a good job and I would have been rehiring again six months later and she didn't leave in the end because of any problems or anything, her personal circumstances changed. So it was, and I, she was with me for almost a year. So, and in the end, it turns out that my other assistant who I also hired using the same process was more capable to take on those hours. So I didn't end up losing a team member in that sense. I just had one team member who was more committed and able to take on more than I was giving her. So it was nice to be able to do that objectively And not get so caught up in my emotions about it. Because, you know, I've got my two babies, but then my business is my other baby. (laughs) And it's the only one that really needs me a whole lot right now. (laughs) Like, the other two are in school now. And they got lives and friends and shit. And this is what I'm spending all day doing is nurturing my business. And it's so easy to get so caught up in your emotions and, you know, helping it walk that you forget that this isn't also your social circle.
0: Yeah. Tell me how that same thing that you just said is true in other areas. So not getting caught up in your emotions and really looking at it like a business. What other areas is that true outside of team?
1: Yeah, like even the softwares that we use, we recently I recently went through a strong audit of like all the moving pieces that we had in our business. And we were hemorrhaging money on some softwares that, yeah, they were helpful, but they we didn't really need them. And we were able to find cheaper alternatives that did the critical functions just as well. But I was emotionally attached to those things because a lot of them were softwares that I had started using early on in the business when it was just me and there were fewer options. And I had spent you know, weeks, sometimes months researching them. And so I was like, oh, like, this is my buddy. It's a software alarm. <laughs> <laughs> it's my buddy. And it served me well. And, you know, you feel this loyalty towards this robot that helps you out. And so it was, again, I was able to make that rubric and be like, these are the different softwares that we're using. These are the different things I need it to do. Which one of these is going to perform well? And one of those line items was the fuzzy feelings I get because I've been using it, the familiarity that I have with it but that does that justify the way higher price tag it turns out no <laughs> so it's just that whole concept of objectively evaluating decisions based off of a list of factors and i had a really hard time at first coming up with those what those factors would be like across hiring software Even program changes I've applied it to where, you know, you have all of these clients being like, hey, can you update this? Hey, this didn't make sense. Hey, can you do a video on that? And because it's a membership, I'm like, yeah, I'll do, I'll I want to do all of it. But what's the highest priority? And is the highest priority necessarily what people are most vocal about what they want? No, (laughs) actually it's not. So it was again, I've applied it to that area too, where I listed off all the things that I needed to improve upon or update. And instead of getting overwhelmed by it and just letting it stagnate, because that's what I do when I get overwhelmed, I just go fuck it and I walk off. Uh, <laughs> and I won't deal with it. I was able to sit down and put all of those things on a spreadsheet and create a rubric for what the different factors are that meant that, that should be updated or improved or created And then actually evaluate all of those factors for each one. And that made like we have a roadmap now where I can actually say, hey, you can expect this to happen in July because that's where it falls on the ranking of things. And like I know my personal capacity like right now is to really update one factor of the program a month. So I'm now able to look at that roadmap and go, "Hmm, okay, that's not actually going to get done until July. And I don't feel panicked about it because I have this objective view of really how important is it to have that update done or to have that created. So it's applied across a lot (laughs) of different areas.
0: Yeah. I love that. I'm so glad it served you so well in, in all of those areas. Another area that I just want to touch on briefly is numbers and data and financials, because we spent some time together on that. And it's an area that most CEOs that I know that start to work with me really avoid. They don't love the numbers, and I know that that's been true for you that hasn't been your favorite. so yeah,
1: well, I'm actually it's it's a learning disability that I have I'm just calculating. So I don't see numbers accurately, and the relationship between numbers makes less than zero sense to me. And again, that was one of those things of what gets you here will not get you there, where up until I hit hundred thousand dollars, I was like, "Okay, as long as I'm not spending more money than I bring in, like most basic math, this number is bigger than that number, we're good." There's less. There's more money coming in than there's money going out. That's all I cared about until we got to a hundred thousand, and then I was like, "Oh, okay. There's there's a lot more to it than that, and I can't use those numbers strategically personally because." I can't see those numbers and I didn't see the relationship between the numbers. And so it's, it was wonderful having you kind of go over those numbers with me because you can see the relationship to numbers that just doesn't appear in my brain. But it also helped me like when I was again, looking at what I was going to hire and who I was going to hire and what the priority was at the end of the year, I actually had like all of the different roles that I needed to fill that I had figured out with you. Um, and you know, we create that organization map where you kind of have your name in all the spots that (laughs) you don't currently have somebody. And there was a lot, but I was, one of my goals for this year was to fill in one or two of those spots. And so I was like, well, (laughs) there's a lot of them. So which one, which one am I going to focus on first? What's going to, what am I going to prioritize here? And, um, so I did the whole rubric thing again and I was able to figure out that, yeah, okay, Having a CFO is going to be somewhat critical for me because I can't do numbers on my own. And dealing with anything financial beyond number A is bigger than number B is too much for my brain. So I was able to be like, okay, well, yes, I would like to have another assistant to take on some more admin stuff. But it's probably going to benefit the business overall, or I know it's going to business benefit the business overall because it came up on the rubric, to have that person in that CFO position. So I was able to hire a fractional CFO and like actually have conversations with her so that I have somebody who is constantly looking at those numbers and able to alert me to problems and tell me what the different numbers mean. And it took a while to find one because... And sure most financial professionals are aware that they talk in jargon and they they expect other people to see the relationship with numbers that they do. So I had to find somebody who could talk about numbers in a non-number way <laughs> to suit my brain, um, which took a bit. But again, I was able to do that hiring process and have that rubric. And I had, I think, six different CPAs that I was considering and that I scored them in different ways. And now that one with like able to break down difficult concepts and relationships between numbers in a non-math way was a heavily weighted column because that was really something that I need. But I was able to, to make that objective decision. And then when I had to make that hiring decision, I wasn't like, well, oh, I hope this works out. Like I knew she was the girl for the job.
0: I love that you found someone to support you in that role, which is what so many CEOs, I think, need to find. You don't have to be naturally great with numbers. You can even just completely hate numbers if you want to, but it doesn't mean you can avoid them. (laughs) I see you raising your hand over there. And so you learned that you can't avoid them. So let's find a way to make it work. Make them easier. Yeah. Make it easier. So good.
1: And it's funny because that's what I teach parents to do. (laughs) Not with with finances specifically, but like when I'm looking at parents and kids who are having behavior problems and they're like, oh, well, they're like hitting. And you're like, okay, well, they need to hit. It's not something you can avoid. What can they hit? What can we find an acceptable way to make this a thing, right? And it's, but it's the same concept here where it's like, okay, I need to deal with numbers. I can't just not deal with numbers. It's I'm running a business. Like I have, I have, you know, CRA to deal with and I have, I have money to deal with. So how can I deal with the numbers without personally having to deal with the number?
0: So at this point, of course, you've crossed the six figure mark. You are continuing to grow. You've got your sights set on seven figures. What are you thinking about now? What's at the top of, you know, what's on, like, just what's on your brain? What are you thinking about as the CEO of your business? day in, day out, week in, week out?
1: At this point, I have been able to mostly step back and take on those higher level kind of strategic bits where I'm looking at, as I said, the structure of the program and updates that need to be done to it, actually coaching my clients and that kind of day-to-day operations, client-facing operations bit of things. Whereas Pretty much all the other roles are being dealt with by somebody who is an expert in that role and is able to competently do it. I'm able to look more at the, the business side of things and the decisions that need to be made to grow the business and to make the business more profitable versus like, well, what am I gonna do a reel on? <laughs> right? Like I have a person now who tells me what to do a reel on. So um I'm still showing up on social media, obviously. And like, it's my face. I'm the face of the business. I'm always going to be the face of the business. I'm not going to ever be able to take myself out of that completely because of that, but I'm not managing it anymore. I'm not having to call the shots in those areas anymore. And it's really nice to be able to focus most of my energy on the people I want to serve versus all of the weeds.
0: Thank you so much for joining me and for sharing all of that. I think you're such an inspiration for everyone listening, just showing them what is possible. And if you're just at six figures and you're feeling overwhelmed and burnt out, know that there are options and there are opportunities to handle and manage the business in a different way. As you grow, you don't have to keep doing things the same way. Elena has been a great example of that today. You get too close to your own business right?
1: Like you become myopic in the whole, like, this is my business and this is how it's run. And having you being able to kind of grab you by the shirt collar and haul you back so that you can see the big picture again, that is the game changer. And I think the worst thing anybody can do (laughs) and why I try and avoid it and why I hooked up with you and started following your process is because I was getting my optic, right? I didn't know what to do next. So thank you
0: for showing me what to do next. You're so very welcome. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, where they can connect, how they can learn about more of what you do?
1: Yeah. So um, I have a podcast called The Mudroom. It's available on iTunes, Google Play, anywhere that podcasts Spotify, the whole nine yards. I have a Facebook group called The Parenting Posse which is now officially 10,000 members strong and on Instagram I'm also at Parenting Posse and okay. my website is alanarobinson.com alana has two l's one
0: n. Awesome and you've got a class a free class that they can go watch as well. Who is that best for and where do they go to find out about that?
1: Yeah, if you have a child between the age of two and six years old and you are at the end of your rope with their behavior and you just don't know what else to do, especially if you maybe talk to a doctor or a psychologist and you've basically been told to parent better and you would if you knew what that meant, you're obviously doing the best that you know how, that's who my free class is for. And you can find that by going to my website. There's a big orange button right at the top that says free class click on that and it's all
0: there. Awesome. We'll link it all up in the show notes as well. Thanks again for joining me. So glad to catch up with you and to have you share your experience. Thank you so much for having me. If you're loving what you're learning on the podcast, subscribe and leave a five-star review. And if you send me a screenshot of that review, I'll give you free access to my CEO Scorecard. This is the same tool I use with my multiple six and seven figure clients to help them uplevel their role as CEO and achieve massive results. This resource is typically available exclusively to clients in my coaching program, The Elevate Effect. If you're ready to learn how to elevate your leadership, your team, and your business, head over to KatherineBinkley.com forward slash The Elevate Effect and join us to reach your next level of success.